0: Do museums matter? And should they give back the artifacts in there if they've stolen them? We discuss this and more with special guest Dr. Harry Bleetler on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking peoples, thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, a home for people who love to have fun thinking deeply. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, professional amateur, and with me, as always, is my compassionately cantankerous co-host.
1: Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, and someone who likes to walk around museums knowing very little and doesn't read plaques, but likes to ingest all the beauty, um, but leaves not knowing much more than he did when he came.
0: How very specific. (laughs) Well, that is a really good segue because with us today is a very special guest, who does know things about the museums that he walks in. He is a beloved associate professor of history and the humanities at the King's College, my alma mater, where he developed a museum studies minor and concentration. He has a PhD in the humanities, focusing on the intellectual and cultural history of Renaissance and Reformation Europe. Additional research interests include ancient history with a particular focus on the world of myth, the origins of civilization, ancient Egypt, and the rise of Christianity in the late antiquity. He is one of 300 met train tour guides, is pursuing another master's degree in archaeology. Most importantly, he is my former professor and a current valued member of the Overthinkers Facebook group. He is the handsome, the heroic, the heterodox, Dr. Harry Bleetler. Dr. Bleetler, welcome to the show. Thank
2: you, Joseph. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Nathan. Well, thank uh, you for being here. It's sure. I'm so
1: glad to have someone as educated as you on about art because it makes my life so much easier. This is why I don't have to read the plaques because you did, and this is why I'm so excited
0: for today's episode. Read them. I wrote them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, well, I do have to say, like, I'm I'm really excited because you're probably um, one of the most beloved professors that I I knew at at, uh, at Kings in the sense that. You know, like every I'll tell people I have, you know, that you know, all the guests I have on the show and stuff like that. But when they hear that, oh, Dr. Bleetler is going to be on the show, then everyone's like, okay, I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna to listen to what he has to say. So you some really uh uh you really have done a good job of creating a um uh, a following of people who really love to hear what you have to say. I
1: try. You
0: say that to all the professors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. He doesn't. <laughs> um, cool. All right, well. Before we get started, I'm really excited about this topic today. Before we get started, uh, Nathan, if people enjoy our discussion and want to um, uh, hear more discussions like this and also engage more with fellow overthinkers like themselves, where can they go?
1: They can go to the overthinkersjournal.com where they can find out more about their hosts and send us all of their love and hate mail. They can also go to the online overthinkers community where we have over 13,000 overthinkers just like yourself, getting into great discussions, mostly around memes, but they're very intellectual (laughs) and smart memes. Don't worry. And uh, you can also, if you enjoy the podcast, leave a review. It really does help us so much and share with a friend.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. All right. Everybody ready? Let's do it. Okay. Okay. So, according to Merriam-Webster, a museum is an institution devoted to the procurement, care, study, and display of objects of lasting interest or value. Most of us don't think about museums all that much beyond visiting one every once in a while to admire a work of art. But like everything else today, it is increasingly mired in cultural controversy. In recent times, museums have gone gotten under fire for their legacy of colonialization and theft, as Holland Cotter points out in his New York Times piece, America's big museums are in the hot seat, many of the works of art and or artifacts that exist in museums were, in fact, stolen from various countries and peoples they came from, such as the Benin artifacts from modern-day Nigeria. Given this, some people, like museum creator Dan Hicks, writing his book The Brutish Museums, claim that we have a strict duty to give back to the original owners of these artifacts what was stolen, or as Hannah Baker argues in the hyperallergic piece, Abolish Museums Now, Abolish and Reimagine Museums entirely. Others are more skeptical of such projects, such as David Fume writing for writing um, who benefits when Western Museums Return Looted Art for the Atlantic, who argues that museums perform a deeply important function as treasuries for great artifacts and art, and give it to the common person. And giving the artifacts back in many cases would mean. A, giving it back to places where people in power um, now have a tenuous relationship with the original owners of that property, and where museum pieces regularly disappear or are stolen by government officials for their own private use. So, Dr. Bleetler, what do you think is the value of the museum for society, and is there a moral and practical case for completely reimagining the museum, or at the very least, giving back the items that we know were stolen? Yes and no. Okay, <laughs> I guess that's that's the show. Everybody, thanks for having me. That's all, folks.
1: You must be an overthinker. It sounds like us.
2: <laughs> um. Yes. Um. I, I think museums. Well, l- let me start out by saying that in the 1970s, there was a very famous uh, article written, uh, and uh, Cameron was his last name. wrote and asked, basically, are museums temples or forums? Hmm. And traditionally, museums have been seen as temples. They're these temples uh, to high art that you go in almost to genuflect in front of the great works of art. Forums, of course, can be messy places. It's it's the marketplace. It's where people go to argue and, and haggle over um, commerce and opinions and whatever. Um, increasingly, I think we're seeing our museums become more and more like the forum, and in that sense, they are adapting, I think, to the times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the museums do need to be more accessible. Uh, you know, the, the the museum as we know it today is a Western Enlightenment uh, invention. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if we want to go back a couple hundred years ago, there was a very small sliver of an audience for that kind of an institution. It's it, it's clear that this was primarily a white European and primarily male kind of world. Uh, and so, yes, of course, museums need to change. They need to um, uh, make themselves more open uh, to people that have traditionally not been, have mm-hmm. not felt welcome. Um, but, you know, right now, especially after 2020 and all the sort of social upheavals, That certainly the West has gone through in the United States, um, you know, important questions are being asked on and how how do we go about doing that. I think some people have it right and some people have it wrong. Some people are, are going a little too far and they they talk about abolishing the museum well they're not really talking about abolishing the museum they're talking about redefining it in a way that makes it less like an enlightenment enterprise okay. uh, and something that's um, uh, more open to people, to the the neighborhood, to the people that would frequent uh, a, a given museum, whether it's the small uh, town museum, uh, that's sort of a historical archive of, of little cities, little towns growth, or the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which draws people from around the world. I think there's room for both. So anyone who's re- asking for one ex- one other end to the other, I think they're missing it.
1: You fit right in here with the- yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we love nuanced answers. And I'm going to, knowing almost nothing about this subject, I'm going to be the voice as I do of the people who are hearing this and asking questions and aren't, and and like myself, are not educated perhaps on all the intricacies that go into uh, this conversation and dialogue and really debate that's happening. So when I hear about, and I've read a few of the articles, when I hear about, you know, should museums give back all the artifacts and all the pieces of art, I'm torn actually, because I, I see that there's, I, I read from both sides and I see that there's good arguments on both sides. On on one hand, I live here in New York. And one of my favorite things about living in New York is I get to be exposed to the most amazing culture from history and around the world at any time. Like I I recently went with my wife, we try to go at least once a year uh, to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And it's so amazing to walk through the ancient Greco-Roman exhibit where you can see these things Um, that I would never get the chance to be exposed to elsewhere. And then I can go into the Renaissance section. I can go into all these different places, the the ancient Egypt section. And I can be exposed to these things from different cultures, from different periods of history that are amazing. And that's only possible because they're in a museum here in New York. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I love to imagine, you know, kids walking in here and getting exposure to different cultures and different art and different ideas. I think it's a good and wonderful thing. So on one side, I'm like, well, no, you, you know, the museum shouldn't just give back everything. Then, you know, the people around the world would be deprived of being exposed to different cultures and different um different ideas. And then the other side, my my devil's advocate side comes in and says, well, but these don't belong to this community, these pieces of art. You know, there's a little museum that I grew up on in the mountains of Colorado that's a, it's a museum of the mountains and it has all these artifacts from um uh, the 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 settlers of Colorado and what they did and and one of the things that made it so amazing and beautiful is that you're sitting in the mountains while looking at all these artifacts that built the, the community around you and so they have something to do with the land that they're actually sitting on and there's a kind of a magic to that and I think about you know I don't know that I'd love if a big museum uh, you know in one of the major cities came and took all those artifacts because I'm like no they belong to this community and if you want to experience them you need to go into this community and see the history and so that's my devil to advocate side that comes which is if you want to experience uh, the 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 artifacts and the history of a culture go to that place where they were where they're where they're kind of rooted and planted and that's one of the, the beautiful things that actually encourage people to travel and go to different places they'll get to be exposed to every different community's own history when they go and so I, I'm really torn because I think exposure to different things around the world and different cultures is a really beautiful thing, but I also think there's something to be said for the communities uh, or the places or the peoples who are the the creators or the ancestors of the creators of these artworks and things, they might have a claim. I think there's kind of a genuine um, uh, the validity to the claim that say, no, these belong in our places, in our city, back in where where we are. So I'm very torn. So yeah. all that to say is I obviously didn't come to any firm conclusions, but <laughs> um, but this is interesting because it's one of these things that doesn't seem to be this clear cut. Uh, one side or the other for me. So that's why
0: this discussion is interesting to me. Yeah, well, I think, and you point out, I think you did an excellent job, bravo, on laying out very clearly um, what sort of the questions and stakes are there. Um, I think, you know, the the tricky, of course, thing is it it would be one thing also if, again, there was like a, a common, like, again, it's all the different cultures, artifacts are in New York. Or, you know, there's a museum like in India where there's all of these different places if, you know, they were traded consensually. But mm, the fact yeah. is many of these were not traded consensually. It was not like, oh, yeah, let's, you know, uh, trade these so that there can be places in the world where, um, where you can just go to one city and see things from around the world. But if that was done, you know, with in partnership, that'd be one thing, but the fact is many of these were stolen and the people who have come from there, you know um, who these came from want them back. And so, you know, I think the strongest claim on that side is just the simple raw morality of it. They were stolen. They should be given back. On the other hand, what's to me a strong argument is that the, you know, the value of having those common spaces um, you know, it's it's funny because I remember watching Indiana Jones growing up and in the, the Indiana Jones, the last crusade, they they there's this this moment where, like again, there's this bad guy who's trying to take artifacts for his own private use. And he's considered mm-hmm. a bad guy because he wants it private. But Indiana Jones is the good guy because he says it belongs in a museum, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and um, because like, oh, the fact that humanity gets to observe this for itself as, and that's a good, um, a moral good. And we, our lives become lesser if we don't have spaces like that. Um, But the thing is, what was funny is that they always ignored the fact that both sides were still stealing them <laughs> from other people and cultures. Yeah. And wow. so, so I think, so I guess to, to Bleetler like, um, but, that, but that's, but on the other side, of course, it's like, if you have people taken back, Sometimes when you take it back, you're talking about taking back to places that have constant political upheaval, or yeah. have extremely corrupt governments where it might not be a, cared for. Exactly, it's not an issue of okay, we can just give it back and then you know we can create a mutual trade situation, or those, that art will be available if you want to go visit you know somewhere else and visit it. It will still be available. No, if you give it back, nobody will ever get to experience that art again. This is why we can't have nice things um so i guess Liedler, you know it laying it out sort of that way how do you see um the right way of getting that balance um or is there no way to get that balance you just kind of have to choose
2: well first of all i, I did want to mention that uh, indiana jones is no longer the good guy by the way <laughs> um archaeologists uh aren't real happy with him because they You know, if you think about those movies, he's he's a bit of a tomb robber himself, as you mentioned. Um, So uh, he's not the role model that he once was. Um, You know, it's really it's getting back to this idea of nuance. Um, There's no yes or no or correct answer that goes across the boards for all situations. Mm. Every situation is different. It almost it depends on the object itself. And you know, that, of course, now means we're talking about means of possible answers, right? Mm. because the the collections that are in what we would consider the world's great encyclopedic or universal museums got there in different ways. Some of them were legally bought.
0: Mm.
2: Some of them were uh, the spoils of war. Mm. Uh, some of them mm-hmm. were stolen or looted uh, to to use that term. And so it really is going to depend on what, how the objects got into a museum's collections. And one of the moves today is for museums to be more honest about how objects became part of their collections. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and then the also the other part of this is that somebody has to ask for them back. Hmm. So hmm. it's one thing to be like, oh, okay, all the Benin bronzes need to go back to Nigeria, which is the government that would get them. Um, and we're talking about thousands of objects wow can can the government handle that right now probably not mm-hmm. um mm. they are planning on building a wonderful new museum called the museum of the edo edo peoples which is where the bronzes originally come from mm. the edo peoples um that's still a few years away and then the question is can they take care of them um we've got to be careful with that t- taking care of them because the West hasn't always done the best taken care of either, especially if you think about um the basically the the carpet bombing of World War II. Uh number oh. of number of great um, um you know masterpieces of the Western tradition were destroyed in World War II. Mm. Now most places figured out you know, bombs are coming, and so they were able to get stuff um uh, hidden and secured. Um but uh, there are also lots of stories of of sort of mishandling hmm. uh, the Elgin Marbles, the Parthenon Marbles uh, in the British Museum that were taken from Athens the early nineteenth century. Underwent a cleaning procedure in the early twentieth century that did great damage to hmm. them, and that is often brought up as an example of well, the West is saying you know we can take better care of these, but can you? So, yeah. so you know hmm. that's 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 a fair assessment. Um, And the other thing to remind remind ourselves is there's two ways to look at giving back. One is called restitution um, and the other is repatriation. Restitution is an object that goes back to its legal owner. Okay. That is something that was looted and stolen. Uh, Repatriation is giving back an object or objects based on ethical concerns. And so those are two different, you know, okay, reasons.
0: So, so legal versus ethical. Yes. So if some like, okay, we we know who the original owners are, we know who the rightful owners are legally, property-wise, all of that, all of the I's and the T's are dotted legally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is a, a case of that. Whereas ethically, it's like, well, there's maybe not a legal precedent, but there's a moral precedent. Yes. Now what what like what would be a case where it's ethical but not legal? So like I, I would that be a spoils of war kind of thing or would that be a uh what would what would what would that a situation like that Yeah be? I would
2: say the Benin bronzes uh, probably fall well you know it, it's it's already getting complicated um, <laughs> it, it depends on how you view the acquisition of those objects Sure they were mm-hmm. originally taken by the British in the 1897 raid uh, on um, the Edo Edo kingdom um, and so they are spoils of war and then the next question is, are spoils of war a fair way of getting something? Hmm. Now, hmm. if you look at the history of the world, that's been a normal way of accruing yeah. objects and material goods. We're seeing it right now with Russia taking stuff from the occupied areas of Ukraine. I don't know if you heard about this or not, but yeah. the but basically the they're calling it the mummy of Pushkin. Uh, no, um, sorry, Potemkin, excuse me. Potemkin was the uh, 18th century um, advisor slash lover to Catherine the Great. Um, he had a lot to do with the Crimea and its acquisition for Russia. Well, it was it's in it's been in a part of Ukraine until about a month ago when the Russians took it back for safekeeping. You know, <laughs> to take good <laughs> yeah. care of it in square quote, scare yeah. quotes. So you know <laughs> that this is stuff that's still happening today, and it really comes down to um, okay, if there's a moral argument what, what is the foundation of that argument? Who or what system of thinking of reasoning requires us to consider giving things back? And that's one place where I think most of the people that are calling out for um, restitution, primarily though repatriation are missing the boat because they don't, they don't realize that they're basically saying stealing is wrong. And that that comes out of a uh, theological system. yeah. And if stealing is wrong, then we should give things back. So when people ask me, what do I think about these matters? There's a part of me, it's like, well, there's the, there's the, the sort of the, the practical world weary guy. That's like, eh, you know, the winner goes home with all the toys, mm-hmm. right? You lost, you lose. And then there's the other side that as a Christian, as a believer, and and thinking that, you know, stealing is wrong, it's a sin, that there should be um, uh, restitution and repatriation. Um, but you're not
1: hearing that in the arguments these hmm. days. Interesting. It, it sounds like there almost needs to be, and correct me if there is, or or this is just a dumb idea, there almost needs to be like a UN for art and artifacts, where you have a representative from every every country and you can kind of create these guidelines around the trading and the the owning and the displaying of these things. And so everyone can at least get on the same page about because it sounds like a lot of it is well, how do we define ownership? And how do we define who gets what? And how do we define all these things? And it sounds like, well, maybe there needs to be a coalition of the entire world and everyone's artifact and say, well, this is what we think together. And these are the rules, you know, they're in Geneva, we have the rules of war that everyone has to abide yeah. by. It sounds like it's almost needed because this is a, this is interesting. This is one of those cases where it's, it's universal. Every culture and country is involved in this uh, uh concept, an idea, because there's artifacts from every culture and time of history in this discussion. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Rarely do you find, not rarely, but not often do you find these subjects we talk about are so universal and deeply universal that, you know, again, going through the Met, I can see something almost from every country, literally in the entire world somewhere. And so it involves pretty much everyone in every culture and community. Another thought I had is, is, has there ever been this idea that, okay, so the Met makes money off of displaying, obviously, all these artifacts from around the world. Not so much a tax, but kind of a royalty, per se, that, you know, if if you continue to let us display these artifacts from your country, we'll pay a portion of our, you know, whatever it might be, to your country or to your government. Is that something that people ever talk about? Or or if that's a dumb idea, please let me know. These are just <laughs> thoughts I've had that, that kind of pop up as I'm thinking through this a massively I didn't even know massively complicated issue. This is this is really nuanced.
2: Yeah, and actually I want, I was trying to figure out if you're setting me up.
1: Uh <laughs> <laughs> no not purposely.
2: Your 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 suggestion of a UN uh body does exist. It's called UNESCO. And the that's where there are actually a number of these um treaties is probably not the right word, but agreements
0: um mm.
2: for um the care and and the trade in cultural objects wow. um, in nineteen seventy, uh, well, it took about till nineteen seventy-two. But UNESCO passed finally, uh, basically, um, guidelines for uh, acquiring primarily antiquities because that's where most of, of the the questions arise. Anything acquired after nineteen seventy must have clear provenance, that is, where it was found and who's owned mm. it since it was found. So that if a museum acquires, let's say, a Cambodian statue um, of Buddha, uh, they they can say, okay, it was found in 1968, so it doesn't apply, which means it's more of an ethical and not a legal issue. But if they find it in 1972 and there's no clear governmental involvement where cambodia says you know yes well you can sell this um you know you who found it in your backyard you can put it on the market and sell it um if that's not there then it's an illegally uh acquired object mm-hmm. and that's when mm-hmm. stuff goes back so the met's been in the news a lot uh over the last few years but even over the last year for a number of objects that they have returned or objects that have been seized um from, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, I forget which office it is in the city of New York, but there's a, a very hardy uh, office that takes care of the <laughs> the, the, the the trade of, of art and antiquities. And uh, the Met was required to give uh, certain objects up. And wow. I would say that part of that is the Met saying, yes, you're correct. We now realize these were looted. And so yeah. we are giving them back. And so the Met has always been pretty good about um objects that have been looted since 1970 go back there's no okay. way around it um wow. and uh, you know the other side of things the repatriation issue of well shouldn't you give all of your Benin bronzes back they have not addressed <laughs> okay. and most museums don't and uh either don't want to or sure. uh or you know they might say oh we just don't have the personnel to look into because it requires a great deal of research and and such. Yeah. But your your suggestion of you know hey why don't they you know cut some royalties and send it back to you know the home country? Um, I hadn't thought of that exact way of of making things more equitable, but there are other ways that that these museums can mm-hmm. do this. And the example I have given is the Louvre. Has over 150 paintings by uh, Nicolas Poussin, the French classical Baroque painter. Do they need 150 Poussins? <laughs> fifteen, probably of them not.
1: Are... That's just my uninformed opinion, but it sounds like a lot.
2: <laughs> right, fifteen to twenty of them are currently on display, and they are mostly the masterpieces. Wow. But the rest of those are in storage. How wow. hard would it be for the Louvre to say to um, to uh, Nigeria? Um, we really like these Benin bronzes. They they add to the universality of our collection and they educate people uh, who don't have a chance to visit Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Say we give you, you know, 10 of our poussons that you can have in your national collection. I think that encyclopedic universal museums need to start coughing up their their backlog of art and artifacts interesting interesting as a way because you know what they're going to this is i know i'm going and going here
1: this is great no
2: they there this things... is
0: literally why we have you on to talk
2: about oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> we
0: know very little about this you are here to teach us
2: <laughs> okay well you know encyclopedic museums are the museums that say they have something from everywhere from all times you know the okay last five thousand years universal they're also encyclopedic are usually also universal museums and universal museums are the museums that say um, this is the place where you can come to see what's universal about the human experience Hmm. so you can you can look at a very other culture and civilization and realize wow they're not that different Mm -hmm. from me or they really are different and they're thinking about things differently and this is how they React. This is how they produce their culture. And what that does is it adds um, uh, deeper meaning and and layers of understanding of people that aren't like you. So it actually Mm -hmm. uh, does a lot to cut down on prejudice. So Mm -hmm. if the Enlightenment produced the museum, the Universal Encyclopedic Museum, they will argue these are necessary institutions because of what they do to the public. If they believe that, then every major city in the world should have one, or at least mm, aspire. Wow. So, great. shouldn't Nairobi uh, have its own encyclopedic museum? What if Absolutely. all of these museums in Europe that have been in bronzes, you know, basically say we're going to give you these X number of pieces of our collections that are redundant, mm-hmm. and you can you know put them in your own museum that will teach your people what the rest of the world is like outside of Nigeria. So I'm a big believer that if these museums really are as important as they say they are, and I do think they are, then they really need to give up uh, lots of things. Uh, And the easiest way to do that is just, you know, empty out some of their storage bins because a lot of this stuff is never going to see the light of day.
1: This is that really, again, uneducated on this subject, but that really connect with my logical center that that seems like a, Because I I agree with what you're saying. I do think that exposure to different cultures actually helps societies understand, connect with, appreciate, even celebrate peoples that are different than them. And I think that's a good and beautiful thing. Like you said, that I think should be present in every major city around the world. So it's almost like rather than everyone reclaiming what is theirs. It's let's turn that around and say, hey, let's try to give part of our culture to everyone in the world. Yeah. And so all of us can be exposed to all of us. I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Obviously it sounds incredibly complicated, but I do like that idea. That that sounds really interesting.
0: Yeah. So there's, there's a bunch of things that we sort of touched on. I kind of want to kind of recap a little bit as we're, we're going forward is one of the things is the messiness of sort of an evolving awareness of morality. Because like you said, Dr. Bleedler, you know, it used to be fairly normal that, you know, okay, we we conquered this people in war, we get their stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, that that used to be sort of seen as the norm. And, you know, there was an idea that, you know, stealing is wrong, but it was stealing within our group. It's like, you know, if it's another group, it's like, well, we won, therefore, their stuff is ours. And over time, of course, that changed. Um, and particularly, you know, uh, you would argue, and I would probably argue, um, in the sort of Tom Holland, story in a sense that, uh, a large degree of that is because of Christianity that, that's, mm. that changed, but you have this kind of this vague period where we're starting to evolve that morality, where we're still doing those things. We're still stealing. We're still operating in that way. Yeah. And then of course, if that morality and that awareness of morality is evolving, it's always like, okay, how far back do you go Mm -hmm. to um, correct that? Um, uh, Or, you know, at what point is it fair to correct that and say, okay, we're going to give, we're going to give stuff back, you know, or at what point is it just too far back? It's just not possible. And so you say, okay, we're going to, we're going to cut that, down and then but just going forward we're not going to do that anymore. And and seeing how messy that is as people are trying to figure that out, museums are just like one example of of figuring that out. where you like you said okay they decided that after 1970. You can't like yeah. you know it has to be like before that we're kind of going to let it go because we don't know another sort of way to do that. Um but then also the other thing is the even as this morality sort of is awareness of morality is evolving good things are happening even so it's like yes there's a lot of looting that happened in the midst of non-looting because this is a good point to make a lot of the people who rightly are trying to call for giving back things that are stolen sometimes oversell the fact not all of it was looted like you know Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that weren't looted and there's a lot of things that were but for the things that were you know the even though this happened the result was something good was a museum that allows us to actually, like an encyclopedic museum and a university museum, a museum that allows us to see a cosmopolitan world where I have common with stuff, with people people over there who are not like me. And that's a good thing, even though part of it, it, it coincided with bad things that people were doing. And so how do we correct the injustices of history without actually undoing the good things that we have. And so, but what I love about this, and this is sort of, I, I'm I'm actually shocked to see people are doing the hard work. Seems like everywhere people are doing the hard work of saying, okay, there's the moral thing to do and then what's practical, let's actually work to figure out the practical solutions over time. Um, so I guess, I mean, so is there, what would you say on that? Is there stuff you would say on that and then also, what are other places that you see examples of um, people um, uh, practically working this out or ways that you think are good or ways that you think that are people are not doing it right? Because you gave a couple of suggestions, but it'd be cool if you could say, here's an example of I think someone doing it right. And here's maybe some ways you think that they're doing it wrong. Well, uh, an
2: example of some place and
0: somewhere that's doing it right is a very recent
2: one. And that is the Met again. Of course, the Met <laughs> hmm. is my touchstone for just about everything, just because it's here in the city. I've been going there for years with my students. And as as you mentioned early on, I, I do um, uh, highlight tours, highlights hmm. of the collection tours for them. Um, about a month or so ago, it was announced that the Met and the government of Greece had reached an agreement on a uh, private collection that was um, wanted to be given to the the Met of Cycladic figurines. Um, well, wow. Won't go into detail what those are, but you can do <laughs> that. And they're they're quite unique. Um, this uh, I think it was is it Robert Stern? I think he was the businessman. Um, began collecting these uh, works because of his visit to the Met as a younger man. He saw mm. their, uh, the Met's pieces and that fascinated him. And because he eventually attained great wealth, they began collecting. And so now he has this uh, collection of like 120 uh, pieces from the Cycladic civilization. Um, the The thing that was worked out was that the agreement was that is that the collection is owned by the nation of greece Mm. but um it is going to be taken care of by an organization uh, in greece that's been created that will oversee its exhibition uh over time and the way it's set up i think what it is is that Right now, there's going to be an exhibition in Athens at the Cycladic Museum in Athens, uh, and then it's coming to the Met for ten years. Wow. Okay. Interesting. With, with the with the uh, possibility of another ten or fifteen year renewal, with the idea of renegotiating as those those time limits uh, pass, and so it also allows for pieces of the collection to go back to Greece periodically. Mm. Greece will then send comparable works for long-term loan to the Met. So it's this back and forth. Um, And, you know, we are talking about, you know, especially when we talk about a place like the Met, they have a lot of money, you know, (laughs) no museum's getting filthy rich. Um, And they're always, always, all museums are always barely, you know, know, balancing their budgets, but Western Mm. museums are rich comparatively speaking to the rest of the world. So, you know, shipping stuff back and forth every few years or even every decade is not a big deal. Mm -hmm. And that to me is a wonderful example of something very new, uh, just happened like a month ago. And the New York Times, when they wrote this, said this could be a model for moving forward for other collections Mm -hmm. um, where there's a recognition is, yes, this really does belong to Greece in, in a very basic historical kind of way but you know it's not going to go into one of their museums and never never come out again mm. um so that's that's mm. that's a wonderful new example so what's that, so what's an
0: example oh excuse me, what's an example oh, no, of, go ahead
2: go ahead uh, see, yeah but,
1: yeah go ahead I'll, I'll finish in a second
0: perfect um what's an example of uh something being done that you think was is not done well or something being proposed that you think shouldn't be done i know that um you mentioned before the uh Broadcast star, you mentioned something about uh Egypt and the and Rosetta Stone. I don't know if you want to use this opportunity to bring that up,
2: but sure. that's a that's a good example. Um before I jump into that, I, I'd also want to point out we talked about how some of these collections come into museums in different ways. And and a good example of a legal and I believe ethical way is that in the early 20th century, the Metropolitan Museum of Art did joint expeditions hmm. in Egypt. Um, and the agreement during a part of that period was that once the season was over, all of the objects found would sort of be laid out on a proverbial table. And uh, they practiced what was known as partage or hmm. parting part of part, partification. Is that a word of, uh, of sure. a I, I don't know any differently. Here. I'll <laughs> <Yeah. pretend laughs> today, and I just, uh, just uh, introduced it to you. Um, so the way it worked was that the Egyptian government would come in and take 50% and they got to choose what they mm. wanted to keep. The oh, rest was given to the expedition folks. So there are a large portion of the Mets Egyptian collection came into the collection that way. It was through partage.
1: Oh,
0: so
2: to me, there is no claim on that. Yeah. Even ethical. It would, you know, we may not think that partage is the most equitable way today but that was back then, you know, and listen, if we're going to, if we're going to be uh, practicing presentism on it, stuff, we're, right. we're, we're going to have nothing of anything. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, anywhere. Yeah. Um, and that includes yeah. people that, you know, all over the world. Um, and so that, I just wanted you to see that that's some of these collections have partage collections. Right. So There's, you have to
0: differentiate again, between yeah. looting and partage, which right. whatever you think about that as well, a, a method, that's still an agreement that was made. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. So you had, uh, what were you going to say? I have one. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I have one last question before we,
1: before we start wrapping up, I was interested. It just kind of occurred to me that, you know, like the concept of inflation, a lot of it depends on the amount, you know, I'm thinking about Rome, right? So let's think about Rome is this uh, empire that lasted a long time and it yeah. covered a huge amount of the world for a long time, which, kind of means it created a lot of artifacts. And yeah. so it's more possible for the Roman empire artifacts to be spread out across the world To yes. Meaning, you know, if we, if everyone had to send Roman artifacts back to Rome, they'd be like, we don't have room. There's too <laughs> many, there's too much, you know? So it, it it makes it more possible for, I guess, Italy to the, the government of Italy to say, no, we're good. You can have a lot of these, you can expose people. The problem is that's not the case with every necessarily country yeah. or um, or history. There's a lot of people that have very precious few artifacts, and those become inherently more valuable. Yeah, and that and that's something that just kind of occurred to me that this kind of inflation understanding about artifacts mm-hmm. and that the more artifacts there are, not that, that not that they're less valuable, but there's there's more to go around. And yeah. but you do have, I'd imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, countries where there's far less artifacts and so anything you do have is far more valuable. So is does that play into it at all? Is that kind of part of the is it any part of the conversation around that?
2: Well I think it is. Uh for instance in Nigeria they have about 50 Benin bronzes. Okay. there yep there is uh, I think 2,500 pieces in European and American museums. So it's mm. easy to look at that and go, okay, that's an ethical issue here. This is, you know, this is where the Edo peoples are from. They should have more. I get that. Yeah. Another uh, sort of, uh, the other end of that is Egypt. Mm. Egypt has more antiquities than it knows what's what to do with. They're discovering stuff every month, it, you know, it, mm. um, constantly. and And I think I've even heard that something like, 60 or 70 percent of Egypt is still underground. Wow. Wow. That's what the expectation uh, is for the future. Now, here's a funny story. The Egyptian Museum in Cairo, uh, which is sort of was until very recently, the the main museum for Egyptian art in Egypt, um, had so much stuff in storage that they didn't know what they had. And at some point, Some curators went in there and they basically started an excavation of their basement.
1: Well, I guess that's the definition of the word irony. Wow.
2: And they found stuff they didn't know they had. And they put that into a show of, look, this was in our basement, which I think (laughs) is wonderful and funny at the same time. So, you know, Egypt asking for everything back doesn't make a lot of sense. And just in terms of inflation. But Egypt asking for specific things that it considers mm. world class is different. And the, the piece that Joseph was rec- uh, mentioning, uh, the sort of my, the setup, uh, <laughs> was uh, the Rosetta Stone. Uh, this yeah. is the 200th anniversary of this decipherment of Egyptian hieroglyphs by um, uh, Champollion, the French scholar. Um, the the actual stone stella, which was used to, de- to, de- to decipher it, hieroglyphs, was found, I think, in 1799 by Napoleon's troops uh, at the town of Rosetta, which is where it got its name. And a few years later, they had to give it to Britain because Britain sort of de- defeated them down there. And so they, hmm. the British basically said, we want all the antiquities you found. And so that's why the it, the Rosetta Stone is in the British Museum today and not the Louvre. Those and there's a recent request <laughs> by one of the archaeologists, the Rosetta Stone should, should be in Egypt, it should come back to Egypt. And I disagree with that, because the Rosetta Stone is famous because of what European scholars did with it. It became an important object because it was the key to unlocking hieroglyphs. Uh, if anything, you might argue it belongs in the Louvre, because it was a Frenchman who sort of made the final breakthrough. So. Um, there are other Egyptian, uh, artifacts that are in the Louvre, no less that I actually think could go back because they were kind of taken stolen or, you know, maybe, uh, looted is, uh, certainly a word you could use, but like, sometimes they're taken behind the backs of the, of the officials. Yeah. Like, so- you know, let's sneak this out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The bust of Nefertiti in Berlin, the argument is the, Back during Potage days, the uh, the British, the Berlin, sorry, the German ex, uh, expedition dirtied it up and made it look like a crappy piece of sculpture. Ah, uh, yeah. So that the officials overlooked it, didn't wow. even know about it. And then ten years later, they displayed it as it is today in Berlin, and the Egyptian government was furious. Sure,
0: I mean, for some strange yeah. reason, yeah. We've been tricked
2: and we've been quite possibly bamboozled. Yeah, for some odd reason, <laughs>
0: they were furious.
2: So there's long been calls to return the bust of Nefertiti. Um, and you know what? I, I think that legally and morally, they if they can prove that that happened, then they have a right to it. But I also love seeing it in Berlin. <laughs> and that's where my own hypocrisy comes in here. Um, you know, when objects are in a collection long enough, they become part of that landscape.
1: Mm, so, you know, yeah.
2: the Elgin marbles, the Parthenon marbles have been in the British Museum for 200 years and they've influenced yeah. British culture. So that makes yeah, it even and more. And the British
1: difficult. people. That's, yeah. yes. Now I have, unless Joseph, you have one no, more question. I was going to help
0: us. I was going to help us. Or, um, no, I was just going to kind of move us in the direction of wrapping up. Um, well, I have a perfect
1: wrap up question, unless you have do a it, better let's one. Let's do it. Do it. Okay. Well, um, Dr. Blatler, with all of your expansive knowledge on museums and on artifacts. Um, I My question would be, I know you enjoy being a professor, but have you ever considered changing your name and becoming an art thief? Because <laughs> I feel like if there was a guy to do it who needed the knowledge, you would be it. <laughs> it's just an idea, you know, just think about it.
2: All right, so just so you know, I've had dreams where I am an <laughs> art thief. <laughs> I, I usually, ha- it it's usually like I have access to like a university collection of Egyptian antiquities and I somehow or another crawl in as if it's a tomb, crawl into the collection room and grab a few things because they're never going to miss them. Um, <laughs> but then in the dream, I'm also, uh, just, just, uh, bereft and, and, uh, overwhelmed with, with, um. Sorrow for my my thieving my thievery
1: <laughs> Dilt.
0: Dilt. Oh, and guilt <laughs> <so> like, <laughs> religion
1: getting in your way, I
0: tell you oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well art art thieving thieving aspirations aside, um my I guess what what ask is so we dealt with well, I guess what well, the conclusion we sort of come to is that there is an ethical claim, you know, obviously against stealing is wrong. We have concluded that. But the applying of that is complicated. Yes. Um yeah. because of history, because of development morality, and uh, because of you know, just and because there is also a competing value of this institution that was created that actually benefits people so well. Mm-hmm. And people have um there but the work has been people have been putting the work into to figure out how to balance both of those. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So I guess what would you want to leave people with in this conversation that we haven't covered yet? Um, to to understand better understand and uh, look at this conversation um, better? Go
2: to your local museum, um, hmm. whether it's here in New York City or Greensboro, North Carolina, um, yeah. and look at those collections. Uh, take the time to look at collections that are not familiar to you hmm. so that you can learn about um, a place or a culture or an ethnicity that is not your own. Mm. Um, because that's, that really is the whole point I believe of these universal encyclopedic museums and that you want to expand your horizon. That's exactly what happened to me with the Benin bronzes and I can give you a practical way in which this changed things for me, please. So, uh, you know, I've been teaching a series of what we would call humanities classes, um, at the King's college of arts and ideas, um, Ancient modern, that was the initial thing. I somehow or another came across uh, something I read about the Benin bronzes and realized that the Met had these uh, in their collection. And so one of my visits, I went to the um, African collection and found them. And I was enamored with them. They are extraordinary Mm. works. Mm. They, In fact, they are so extraordinary that early Europeans that first encountered them thought, surely other Europeans taught them how to do this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because they could never do this on their own. Well, it turns wow. out they did. And wow. they are just wonderful. There's even some that show the interaction between Europeans and Africans. You've got wow. the Portuguese uh, present on some of these, which is fascinating in its own right. And that's when I began to realize, okay, I'm teaching my my humanities classes in a traditional sort of Western-centric Way That's kind of normally how it's been taught over time in the US. Um, And then I realized, wait, there's so much more here. And so I kept trying to squeeze in non Western art, and then realized I gave up and said, I need a third course. And so the arts Mm. and ideas classes I teach are ancient, medieval, and modern, and it's world global art. And actually global is is the the word that most people are using today. Uh, Not Western, non-Western, but just global approach to art. And it actually, I realized in doing this that I was opening myself up to looking at the fruit of world cultures and civilizations that reflects the image of God across cultures amazing times and places because that's to me what an encyclopedic museum is it's it's almost a treasury or a storehouse of reflections of the image of god and that you know that that, that can include idols you know it mm. can include the statue of a People's god reach
1: for god yeah, yeah. It, exploration it's Exploration the divine
2: yeah, yeah you know uh, flannery o'connor talked about the christ haunted south um mm. the, the south just might have this sense of christ being real and what he did was real so i've taken that and applied it to sort of culture around the world that cultures of the world have a god or christ haunted no. culture that what if he's no. real what if this is true what if we are made in the image of god and that way um I, you know we can look at the the, the, the handicrafts of the world uh mm. and just almost see this as like Oh, the Met's kind of like God's museum of his, of his creation, wow. of the works of his creation. Um, almost mm-hmm. like God saying, "Come, look what look what my children have
1: made." That's mm. so cool! What a great way to think about that. Yeah, I mean that. On that note, that is that is a perfect amen to this episode. If you can, amen. if you
2: can tell me, how, you can show me how to monetize that. I would appreciate it. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> well. well when I'll we figure it out, Once we'll you let know. you know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Once we figure out how to monetize the podcast, we'll move on to that. Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we're going to move on to blesses and curses. Whereas everyone knows we take a work of art media resource every week and we figure out, um, uh, one to bless, recommend to you or and curse, uh, one to tell you, stay away from. So, um, we always give our guests opportunity to participate in either the bless or the curse or both. Um, would you like to start off or would you like uh, Nathan and myself to start off?
2: Uh, I'll start off,
0: sure. Cool, yes.
2: So I would say uh, a blessing would be the uh, the gold death mask of King Tutankhamen, King Tut. This Ooh. is the 100th anniversary month of the discoveries of his tomb. November 4th was the day the first step was discovered. Um, and then I think the 22nd is when they actually got to the, the first set of doors. Um, that's what that's what did it for me as a kid, uh, mm-hmm. seeing National Geographic's in the public library. Growing up, I saw the death mask of Tut and I was enamored by its extraordinary beauty. And uh, so that would be my blessing. You know, check out King Tut this month. If, I, if I'm not really going to do a curse, but if I would curse, <laughs> it would be the naysayers. Um, and there mm-hmm. are a couple of people that have been, that have come, they have gone public uh, recently about... Um, I don't know the horrible things that Howard Carter and the you know British archaeologists of the day did uh nothing that's extraordinarily wrong or bad other than being typical 1920s western european white men who certainly lived and uh, uh believed in a different way than we do now and so um I would say you know don't don't buy into too much of that
1: fair fair enough this is a first for the podcast. I don't know if we've ever had an artifact as a blessing, right? That's pretty good. Well, That's we know cool. we
0: that shows just our lack of knowledge of of yeah. artifacts. <laughs> we finally Every history
1: was made. I
0: guess I guess we're gonna need to uh, take take some trips to the Met to have more blessings. Yes, start okay. blessing more. Well, you know, my father owns the artifacts
2: on a thousand hills, so I I could share one of those.
0: Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, um, great. How about you?
1: Oh, man. Okay, well, I'm going to show my lack of knowledge here. um, Because, man, coming up with blesses and curses on this particular subject, I just thought of any movie or book I've read with museum in it. And you know, like the mixed up files of Mrs. Frankie Basilweiler, classic as a kid, I gotta bless that one. Mm. Um, You know, I will bless that because it encourages kids to find wonder in these places where they're going to just their minds and their hearts are going to be open. So absolutely shove that book in front of your kids it was really wonderful for me um you know I want to bless like concepts like I'm so glad that I grew up in a family that took me to museums so from a very <laughs> yeah. early age I was exposed to wonderful and beautiful things um so yeah I'm gonna bless the concept of taking your family <laughs> to the museum and that's a deep thing and now I'm gonna bless because the only thing I could think of as far as, like, movies was national treasure, which is probably bad because he's stealing the uh, <laughs> Declaration of Independence. So, I probably shouldn't be blessing that. But, you know, he's, you can't he's stealing
0: it in order to protect it from somebody else who's going to steal That's it. That's true. That it okay. okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> when apparently, I I I never even thought about this. Now we have to curse Indiana Jones. I mean I love him, <laughs> no. but now well, I oh, wow.
0: You can at least curse Temple of Doom and uh, and Crystal Skull cuz those are like bad. That's movies. true. Those <laughs> are a little
1: easier. But I'll I'll curse like um maybe like the Thomas Crown affair. You know, like okay. it a movie with <laughs> That's a- um what's his face in a oh, uh, James Bond um oh, Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan and someone else and it uh, <laughs> I'm gonna use our language from other episodes, and it glorifies a man who steals art. And we, and as we find out today, that's not a good thing. Not
0: a good thing. So yes. I <laughs> guess that's
1: my curse, <laughs> Joseph. I hope you can wrap us up with a little better. We shouldn't have started with the best. <laughs> that's
0: fair. We should probably do this more strategically rather than being kind to our guests by letting them. Yeah, hit. exactly. <laughs> um, that's what being nice gets you. <laughs> I I will um I will bless. First of all, this is one that was really is fun for me. I'm gonna bless this obscure um sesame street video that they would sell at the met when i was go there called please don't eat the pictures um and it's all about the sesame street characters getting locked in them uh the metropolitan museum of art overnight and so then you get to you get to see for as a kid i got to experience the art through the eyes of characters that i mm. loved and so that helped you know me see the, the magic through their eyes, and, and and that helped me to see the magic for the first sort of time. Um, really, as a kid, and remembering, uh, you know, and they and they did they they had this whole magic with Egypt, where this little boy was trying to had to you know go visit his parents, but he's cursed to stay there until they solve these puzzles there. So it was really a beautiful wow. thing, and of course, I always remember. Because Cookie Monster was my favorite character, their whole thing of like he kept wanting to eat the the eat the pictures and eat the artifacts and he couldn't. And I so I kind of remember this. You're unlocking right? a memory for me, right? Yeah. And it's it, it I if I watched it a little bit later on. It holds up better than you would think it does. Okay. So, if you can find that anywhere, if it's on YouTube or whatever, like and show that to your kids. And that's my recommendation of that. Curse. There's a lot of like really bad kind of those like Indiana Jones kind of movies. Um, I'm gonna go sort of easy. I'm gonna curse the um Tom Cruise mummy film. And not just because it's a terrible <laughs> film. Remake. Yeah, yeah. Rem- yeah a remake. Yeah, remake of a remake. On. It's a remake of Brendan Fraser's mummy, which is a remake of the original mummy <laughs> way back when. But what I'm I'm gonna say is that it it does try sort of lazily try to deal with the issues we're talking about. Because again, you do see the mm-hmm. shift of like he's a grave robber. He's portrayed as a grave robber now, not as a you know heroic you know, um, excavator. But they don't wrestle with those issues at all. They just sort of play him as sleazy, but then they also play the sort of villains as sort of, ju- as, you know, the the mummy villains or stuff like that, as leaning into all those stereotypes still of the sort of otherizing of the, the fantastical. So there's no attempt to wrestle with the is issues. They just kind of feed you stereotypes about them that I think, you know, are not healthy and would be more harmful if the movie was even any good but uh so <laughs> <laughs> luckily no one saw it or liked it but that'll be my blessings and curses okay awesome well thank you so much uh, for joining us uh dr Bleetler um if people really enjoy what you have to say and want to get in touch with you in any way or see um the projects you're working on uh where can they get in touch with you or what projects can they uh find uh, that you're involved in that you might want uh, people to know about
2: Um, I would say they're welcome to email me um, Mm -hmm. and you can find my email on the website of the King's College under faculty Um, be happy to uh, yeah um, have some conversations or talk about things I'm working on. Absolutely available.
1: Awesome. Very cool. And the best way to get FaceTime with the good doctor is to just enroll in Kings. So. <laughs> there is that. Yeah. If you have a few thousand dollars to courses. spare. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sign up for museum studies with me. That's exactly. awesome. Well, people want to get in touch with you or us, Nathan. Uh, where can they go?
1: They can go to NathanClarkson.me or search my name Nathan Clarkson on any of the socials
0: cool if you want to get in touch with us and uh all the overthinkers crew and where dr bleetler is also there and sometimes posts uh, you can go to the um uh nate uh, excuse me the um, overthinkers facebook group you can also reach out and email us at the and of course you can find me at josephholmestudios.com any of the socials and also my work doing film criticism at religion unplugged Thank you very much again everyone for listening and remember if it's worth thinking about it's worth overthinking about.